Hey, what's going on? This is the show. I hate myself. I also hate myself. I hate myself. I probably won't kill myself. I should probably play with my kids or finish my degree. But instead, I'll just play Candy Crush and worry about that in your boots Because I hate myself. Hey, what's going on? This is the show where it's okay to feel bad. I hate myself. I'm the Joe Troman. And this is... Who are you? <laughs> I'm I'm the Wade Randolph. I thought you were going to say the name of the show again. I didn't know I was. I did say to it already. There. I yeah. know. I thought you were going to do it again. Okay, it's okay. No, I'm not doing it again. That's Wade Randolph. Hello. Um, again, this is I hate myself. Uh, the show. Wade, how you doing? Um, you know, I I've just been uh, eating too much hot sauce, and <laughs> my. <laughs> My belly's on fire, and uh, you know I'm drinking too early, and that's about it. How about you? I have a constant headache. Oh no, is it COVID? I don't think maybe it could be COVID. I think I'm trying to be optimistic. I mean, <laughs> I got a question for you. Okay. This is narcissistic, but bear with me. Do I look sad when you see me most of the time? I mean, no, I don't think so. I think I think. Um, I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to remember How do I the first look? <laughs> You look great. I mean outside of everything that's happening with your yeah, to my... hair and beard and face. Yeah. Outside I'm... of all of that, you look great. Good. I'm smiling about that. I feel good about that. <laughs> <laughs> I well what about me? Do I seem like a sad guy? You no, you you sm- see No. I mean you you smile a lot. A lot more than people give you credit for in my opinion. IMO. Thank Since you. In my opinion, yeah, you're kind of more positive. Weirdly, like the longer we've been friends, I come off more po- like I have a more positive ex- like demeanor. Like I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be great. But then, like truly, the longer we've hung out, I think it's come to light that I'm the more negative. This is a weird thing. People, uh, people think <laughs> that I'm a real grump. I'm a real curmudgeon. But I'm, I'm truly. These days, I'm an optimist. Like I, I try to, I try to think of the good things, like the positive spin on things. Also, I have a very short memory, and so when something bad happens, I get over it like immediately. You know, you're a guy's guy. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Don't guys aren't guys supposed to like? They get in a fight, then they get over it. That's oh like sure, the, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a guy's guy. You got a man cave. I got a hammer over here yeah. that I use to like do guy guy stuff. They do guys guy stuff. You got pliers. You have a big screen TV. Two of them. Oh my goodness. That's true. You do have two televisions. It's so that I can play video games and watch TV at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm pretty jealous of it. Why? You can do that. You don't, you don't live in my house. You don't know my house. <laughs> you don't know my rules. Throw your wife under the bus real quick. No, she makes everything pretty. <laughs> no, my wife, my sweet, sweet wife. No, I'm not going to throw her under the bus. But I'm, I'm thinking but of the first time won't... we met. The yeah. first time we met, we had brunch. I never mm-hmm. had locks before, so I ordered that. Not not because you're Jewish. I I, I have a weird <laughs> to thing. To impress me? See, I'm eating the, smoked, the slimy smoked fish. This guy's all right. I can't tell when people are Jewish. I didn't know. Anti-Semitism is a weird thing to me because sure. I don't know how people can spot the Jews. Oh, um, 
How do you do it? How do you spot Jews? How do I do it? I mean, I do it because I it just like it's ingrained in me. I mean, I've been spotted as Jewish so many times. I don't look too far off from like a lot of drawings and caricatures and things like that of a Jew. <laughs> Big nose, lots of hair, loud, Your nose is not nervous. That- I feel like my nose is as big as yours. No. Nice try. Don't take away my thing. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to appropriate Ju- Judaism. Yeah. Jesus Christ. No, but I think... <laughs> well, he was Jewish, too. But going back to what we were talking about... About perception and... About and... perception, about like how people don't understand depression because yeah. they think it is an outward demeanor. The outward demeanor must match the interior. It's funny that we're talking about this because I just happened to watch this thing from the 50s. It was an interview and this guy, this host, I don't know who he was, he's probably dead now, was interviewing people with depression in the 50s and they were that was basically what they were talking about. They were talking about how this one guy was like he got told by a nurse like, "Hey, why don't you just like cheer up?" By a nurse. That's crazy. I mean, again, so it's the 50s, so psychotherapy is still, I mean, it's still new today, really. It's just, again, this is part of the reason we're doing, chipping away a little bit on our end is to try to, from our perspective, as far as depressives, try to make it clear what it means to be depressed. And I think people really, it's it's human nature to judge a book by its cover, right? It's human nature to look at someone and go, that's a criminal, especially... <laughs> racistly speaking, but it's also human nature to just look at someone's face and go, well, that's a happy person, that's a sad person. See, they're smiling, so they must be happy. It's like, I never want to make anyone feel as bad as I feel. I don't want to go into a room and be like, see, I'm depressed. How do you feel now? You know, I don't want to do that to anybody. Well, I don't think anybody wants... Well, it depends. There are people who are performative about their emotions you know and they and they want to be noticed because of like being sad or whatever but i don't think that's most depressives you know i think most depressives want nobody to to know how depressed they are right yeah because i think it's partially out of taboo because you don't want to bum people out and take the vibe out and suck the the good vibes out of the room and then sort of be excommunicated for being depressed but then also you don't want to be shamed on top of that. You don't want to go and express your depression and someone go, I don't get it, or like, buck up, bitch, <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's a lot of reasons. Um, but, you know, I think it's a good time then to transition. Uh, I'm sorry to tell you, I have some bad news. I got some bad news today. It turns out my ancestors were all in red. So, Wade, I I brought another one of the, one of these things you like in. An article? I brought in an article for you. My favorite. Yeah, it's I sourced article. It. This is good news. I get to hear an article. I got it from Psy, Psy, Psychology Today. Psychology Today. Um, <laughs> it's a good resource. Uh-huh. But also, um, so this article is called The Secret Pain of Quote-Unquote Smiling Depression. And then it has a tag underneath. It's nothing to smile about. Before we get into the article, let's punch that up a little bit because it's a double beat. Uh, this is no laughing matter. Just worry, don't be happy. <laughs> uh, put put on a put on a happy face. How about that? Oh yeah, put on a happy face. I don't know why or, I'm just doing song references. Yeah, that's okay. 
I think, okay, so put on the happy face, guys, because you feel bad inside. Um, so this kind of, you know, it, it starts off, it says, how many people do you imagine look happy but struggle with depressive thoughts on a daily basis? You know, not I everyone. Think ex- everybody. I think everybody. Not not everyone experiences depression in the same way. Some might not even realize they are depressed, especially if they seem like they're managing their day to day life. It doesn't seem possible that someone can be smiling, chipper, functioning, and at the same time depressed. Um, the hallmark of smiling depression is sadness. The smile and external facade is a defense mechanism and attempt to hide their true feelings. So I think it's really fascinating in some ways, you know, for me, like remembering to get up and be in a good mood, it is part of my day. It's like, get up, you gotta be in a good mood. You got two kids, uh, you don't wanna bum your wife out. Uh, okay, here we go, and smile. See, and like, this is why I will never be in a relationship ever, because I just don't- What about relationship? Well, we don't live together, I just mean, I don't have the energy. Can I move in? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I could use the help with the rent for sure. All right, I think. Okay, so you're so we're gonna have to. Well, I guess we have to pretend with each other with the moods. Yeah, then we can just bum each other out constantly. <laughs> can I use one of the TVs? You. That's why I got two, so that we can multitask our our screen time. Oh, this is awesome, dude! I'm feeling um, kind of better actually. I don't have the energy. To like what to, to be in a relationship to be in like a monogamous like what I'm in like a marriage with as, as uh, the show would say married with children. I'm a true Al Bundy man. I just don't. I don't. I I'm. Uh, I all of my energy. I only have enough energy for me. I cannot expend any energy on anyone else. I'm. You too only have selfish. enough energy to stick your hand partway into your pants and and laugh and, and laugh at and laugh at the patrons at the shoe store you work at. I make fun store. of the fat ladies who come in and I watch the boob tube when I get home and that's the only energy that I have. I used to really want to get a no ma'am shirt. I realized there's no way that would anyone would understand that that's from a TV show and I don't believe in in, in that. I think you should get one. People would probably think it's a band or something. Yeah, no ma'am. I think no it says a bunch great. of stuff on the back, like a bunch of an- pretty anti-women stuff on the back. They have their rules. Yeah, it's a big yeah, list of rules. It's the rules have. on the back. Yeah, I'm like, eh, as much as I love it in the context of the show, <laughs> like I love these unlikable characters. I'm not that. It was ahead of its time. Now now that's just like an incel group, you know? Totally. Yeah, those are MRA guys. It's crazy. You know, it, 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 I've mentioned this before about, you know, playing in a, uh, you know, I mean, friends with and in, in, in a band with Scotty and you remember Anthrax is on Married with Children. So I remember, I mean, when Scott and I, I first don't met, remember that they were on Married with Children. On Married with Children. Yeah. What was Bud, the, like, hang on, it, explain, explain, describe that episode. Bud invites them back to the house, like after an Anthrax show, they like, kind of <laughs> sort of trash the house a little bit. But I remember just like talking to, when I first met Scott, I'm like, all right, we could talk metal. Let's talk Married with Children. Yeah. Right. Let's get, into, <laughs> let's get into a little sitcom comedy here. <laughs> Lots of good people on that show. Um, yeah, I loved it. But yeah, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I think well, it's what, tough. It's, what did it's he have to, to say about? On... I want to know what he had to say about Married with Children. Did he like it? Oh, something like it was great. You know, like I, I don't like. Yeah, he loved it. Of course. Okay, but Scott do it in his voice, though. It was great. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm Scott. I can't really. Do... <laughs> no, that's pretty good. Know. 
We got to get Scott on here so we can have him do a Scott impression. Yes, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a struggle, man. It's a struggle when you're responsible for other people's day well, that's and their emotions. That's something that I yeah. didn't even, like, I've never even considered that. Like, having to wake up and, like, be a human being for someone else. Yeah. Like, I... Uh, it's not in me man but even going in even let's pretend i were single i was ready to mingle my children (laughs) never happened which i don't want that to happen let's just pretend this yeah reality so what's your life like getting getting going to get coffee at the coffee shop pre-covid post-covid i don't know i still have to remember remember to look happy for the person at the counter so you don't fuck their potentially shitty day up anymore like yes. i'm very i'm very cognizant of the fact that like i feel dismal as a kind of like baseline and then like, i'm much I, yeah i'm much nicer to strangers than i am to the people who i love <laughs> i think you're and nice i don't too. know why i just uh, it's just like i i want them to like me the people who i love are stuck with me so I don't have to. You also that. know things about the people that you love that maybe can irk you or rub you the wrong way. Whereas, like, for sure, you don't know anything. Like, I always want to be nice to a stranger, but I don't want. Yeah, these I people never, are blank slates. They're they're saints. I never want my mood to affect a stranger. Sure. Like, I yeah, I, I never want to like ruin. Be like, it sucks when some like someone's crazy mad or like you go to get pick up a prescription and a guy cuts in front of your the line throws his fucked up foot on the counter he's like my foot needs cream and you're like this happens to me almost daily and that happened (laughs) (laughs) where are these people coming from this happened at a walgreens at a sunset and western i stopped going to the walgreens there it's disgusting that is a that is a ghetto walgreens i hate that walgreens it's a rough walgreens yeah i started going to the cvs in silver lake near the 365 whole whole foods cvs forever cool very sweet cool very cool very what sweet cool very sweet cool very sweet yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh speaking of cool and very sweet oh uh, yeah and and somebody that's also i think you would have no idea this guy has ever felt depressed because he smiles and he's so positive he's also a hilarious comic writer uh voice actor you know, uh, regular actor, guy, dad, he's the best. We're gonna let's talk about it with Ron Funches. Who would wanna be a guest on a podcast when I'm too lazy to even wanna brush my teeth? So let's get it over with the song and dance. Got a guest coming over, better put on some pants. Hey, Ron Funches, how are you? I'm good, Joe, how are you? I'm good, it's good to see you. Thanks for doing this. Uh, this is a... Uh, our third episode, so you're oh, nice. yeah. I, w- I would have had you be number one. I just was afraid to ask you. I never want to be number. I wouldn't have been number one, so I like that. So you like that that you weighed it. Yeah, it's too much pressure. It's a lot of pressure. It's also like the vaccine. You don't want to be the first person to get it. You want somebody yeah. else to try it first. Yeah, let someone else be the canary <laughs> in the coal mine. Yeah. So is that what you got? You got a ninety-year-old British woman. We have our first is a, is a, what is it, a centenarian? I think a centenarian. We had do it. Someone that's two hundred years old. She made it through, and so now you're number three. <laughs> uh, 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 so when I asked our mutual friend, who's, who's your manager, to do this, 
I was like, I want Ron, Ron to do this, but it's a depression podcast. And like, um, Ron's like the most positive person I've, I've come across. Um, you're, you're, oh, thank you're, you. you're, a po- you're not just a positivity magnet, but you're, you exude positivity. And so I was like, if Ron doesn't want to do this because <laughs> he, he doesn't feel these feelings, I understand. So I'm glad you want to do this. I want to ask you as a really positive guy, how, like, what are your experiences with depression? I know it's a, it's a big question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a big question. Uh, but I mean, I think like anyone, I mean, I'm, I'm a regular human being. I'm not, you know, so I've, I've experienced depressions, I've experienced a lot of ups and downs. I think I was, a, I had a lot more depression when I was in my teens and early 20s. Um, and it's it, part of the positivity and part of the stuff that I do now, it's kind of a choice to combat that it's not a like thing to say that it doesn't exist but like it's it is a um it's more of a tactic is a thing that i've taught myself in order to deal with the issues that i had when i was younger when i lived in portland I, you know which is a place that will give you just seasonal depression sure. because it's gray several months out of the year yeah i'm from uh, chicago so i I know. Yeah. I know the vibe. Well, that's, yeah. Well, that's where I was. I went, moved from Chicago to Oregon. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I think like I, I was talking about it with my therapist an hour before we got on this about people don't like, unless you're my friend and you know me, people have no idea that I'm depressed because I try mm-hmm. to exude positivity. Like I try to look at things like glass half full as much as I can and they're surprised. And I think maybe would people be surprised to know that about you that like you are, you exude, you are, you are like such a positive dude. Um, like you just, it's infectious, you know? Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like what would, would people be totally surprised to know that about you, that you like, that you struggle at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, my wife, I think even was when we first met, she, I think, you know, as much as she met me as a person and, but she still knew my comedy and things. And, and one of the things that she liked about me was that I was calm and positive. And even on our, she said that she liked me on our first date. Cause she, she was like, how are you doing? She's like, how's things in your life? And she's like, and everybody had always been like, Oh, well, this, I'm worried about this or this or that. And then she's like, she said, I just leaned back and just went, I'm good. And she was <laughs> That's awesome. And, and that's, you know, truly part of what I feel, but it is also like, you know, getting to learn that like, you know, it's not a 24 seven thing. It is a thing where, um, I mean, yeah, there are times I was funny. I was very depressed where I, um, I mean, I'm in therapy now all the, and that's been a big help of getting me to d- deal with it. So I think people are often surprised by it, but I never try to shy away for it. Even in my comedy, I talk about a lot of negative things and uh, sure. uh, the fact that I grew up in an uh, you know, abusive household and lots of things, you know? So. Well, that's, I want to add, you said so much good stuff I want to talk about. I think like, you know, I want to ask you about that because I grew up in a, in a different type of a, not a physically abusive household, but an incredibly uh, emotionally and verbally abusive household that I think has shaped, you know, it's hard to know like the chicken or the egg. My dad, is a clinically depressed person who's helped me guide, help guide me through my own clinical depression by getting me into therapy early, uh, which has probably saved my life. But a lot of, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of verbal and emotional abuse from my mother, like a lot of abuse. Like for you, do you feel like, and there's something else I, I kind of might know about your life, but, you know, I wonder, like, do you think back on that trauma and look at it as like a cause uh, or a source of, of, of depression for you? Um, 
that that abuse in your household. For me, it's like it's it shaped my entire life. That relationship yeah. with my mother, or that abusive relationship with my mother. Yeah, of course it does. I think any, I mean, everything, especially during your formative age, everything shapes you. So sure. if that's what you're living with, it's going to shape you. It's going to cause you to have issues. And um, yeah, my mom was in an abusive relationship for several years. And uh, it, it definitely caused me to have depression and issues and and issues in my own life that I dealt with several years after he was gone. It wasn't until I got myself into therapy and start thinking where I was like, oh, I'm still letting this, um, I'm still letting the things of my childhood still affect me. And I think um, a lot of people, you know, they look at that as whining or being weak, but like, I mean, I just believe in, in just everything imprints on your makeup. So you got to deal with it. Everything is kind of handled. Your, your plot is given to you and it's your way of like, not just, I think we put so much value on external knowledge when when every when there's so much involved in just learning more about yourself and undoing the things that your parents did to you or just happened to you and and you can't deny that I think so many, when you spend so much time denying it that's why you see so many uh, I see so so many uh, my peers and adults my age that are just kind of stunted children you know because sure. they, fused to they were like oh i just love to drink so much and i love to do drugs so much and i like drugs and stuff and all things in balance (laughs) but i'm also willing to look at like oh maybe this is the reason especially when i met my wife i was like oh there's issues i've had with my past marriage and things where i need to make sure i don't let that i don't track that mud into a new relationship because i know Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to, I don't want to No, go ahead, it. Joe. No, no, no that's pretty gonna, much the end of it. No, I was just going to say, I think what's like really fascinating about what you just said is how many like, and we have some mutual friends and, and, and not, but I, similarly, like, I know people that are stuck, rusted in their development. They're like, whatever age things got very incredibly fucked up for me, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to stay at 15, 16 years old. I'm going to operate that way, especially with drugs and alcohol because they're using it as a coping mechanism so they don't have to confront that stuff. And this is why like, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, I think everybody should be in therapy so you can go and confront some of that pain. I think confronting that trauma, cause like you said, it's like people have put this bullshit narrative out there that saying, well, you know, I'm really struggling because of what happened to me during my childhood. And they're responding with boohoo, you were a kid, get over it that's it's fucking insane because those are your formative years. That's when you are shaped. Like you have, you have a child. I have two children. I'm sure you think about this a lot as someone growing up and that grew up in it also in an abusive household has dealt with a mood disorder, mental illness. And you look at your child and go, what can I do to help them not come out the way I came out? Not that like, I mean, you're wonderful. I don't feel. Yeah. Well, well, more, I just think it would any, any parent is just your job to like, build upon it and do better and try to like let me fix some of the things I did not like about my childhood and it doesn't even have to be an abuse it could just be communication with your parents yeah uh, for me well a lot of things that I liked that, that wasn't even abuse related is that I love playing games and video games with my son like which is something that I think I was unheard of at that time you know so and like, it was like and it, was just, frowned, it was frowned upon too like to throw your kid in front of the tv and be like let's play a video game people were like that's not educational that's not helpful and if anything, like I've connected likewise so much with my my uh, my six year old daughter saw me play Tony Hawk and she's like, I want to play Tony Hawk. 
and she figured out like how to get on a PlayStation 4 and do the grinds and do that stuff. And she feels good about herself doing that with her dad. I'm like, oh, this mm-hmm. is fantastic. You know, I love having this experience with her and it makes her feel better yeah. about herself, you know? No, it's amazing. It's real. I love I mean, so many things like that with my son. One of my favorite memories was like, you know, just because he thinks things are new that, that I never knew about him. And he's just like, I think one day I was just playing this old uh, SNK game, Metal Slug, that I used to play in arcades. Yeah. And, he, and he just comes out and he's like, Daddy likes Metal Slug? And I was like, yeah, I like Metal Slug. And he's like, I like Metal Slug. And we just sat there and played Metal Slug to beat the whole game together. And it was one of my favorite memories. I love it. I used to kick my dad's ass at uh, Nintendo. Like, he would try to play with me, and I'd just I'd beat him badly. We would play, uh, like, ice hockey. Remember ice hockey? Where you'd, yeah. You either pick the fat guy or the skinny dude or the regular dude form your lineup and I beat him like 20 to 1 and I would complain about the one goal that he scored <laughs> and uh and he was like you gotta you gotta grow up man and it was like oh he's right I'm being a little I'm being a shit about this <laughs> <laughs> this lesson's learned and I'm yeah. glad you talked Wade I didn't know if you just produced or you talked at I mostly no I mostly listen I I'll throw some things in there when I when I feel like it <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm glad. <laughs> Wade, re- Wade reminds me how to get back on point sometimes. Um, Cause I can. Well, speaking of that, I wanted to yeah. ask you about comedy because a lot of standups I know are just so cynical and they lean into it. And like negativity is a big part of, of a lot of people's comedy. And I'm wondering how you, how you, how do you like reversed that? And like, how do you, how do you not like lean into like, you know, cynicism? Um, I mean, I just, I think it's again, just that I do try to be positive and, and, teaching myself that it has become a fun way for me to write. And I thought right away that it was, it is difficult. I will tell you that it does seem to be more, I mean, just in the fact, I mean, I've had people argue with me, but, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's easier to destroy something you've seen and to like build something up or find a, yeah. a positive and a negative, you know, but that's kind of what I've learned to do my whole life. That's the things that I was taught to me from, you know, dealing with uh, being in a, a abusive household and moving around a lot. Like I've learned to find the positives and negative situations. And so I thought that would be the best way for me to go about my comedy, especially when it became a job of like, Oh, I got to go do, five shows in three nights or whatever. I don't want to be up there saying shit that I'm up there like bah, 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 yeah, all yeah. the time, you know? I think uh, I in particular, I remember there was one open mic and there was this guy and he was just, he was just very angry when he did his whole set. And and then I talked to him in the bathroom and I was just like, man, how do you like deal with that anger that you have for that stuff? like the other hours of the day and he was just was like oh i don't really feel that way and i was just like oh you're phony <laughs> yeah, funny. wow well that's like a thing that like drew me to like i saw you first at the largo ron and like i didn't know how you were probably not as new as i as you were to me you know but like i was like oh i love him he's so positive and he's smiling but he's i'm laughing i mean this is funny and it doesn't hurt i can comedy be this too? I mean, it, it was like that for me growing up with Mel Brooks. It was funny and it never yeah. hurt, you know? No, I, I think that is, I think that, I mean, it, it's kind of was like that to me was more of a fad that came in with like a lot of these shows, like, and, and no disrespect, I think they're great shows, but like 
uh, you see people just kind of lean into things. I think like a show like Always Sunny, where they were like always constantly mean to each other. It became a like, oh, well, this is what comedy is. And it's just like, it wasn't like that when I grew up. And like, I just kind of do, like, it's not like I'm doing anything reinventing the wheel i'm leaning into the people that i grew up that made me happy sure you know? so when i watched sinbad as a kid he wasn't up yeah. there like the, the, he was dancing around having a good time um <laughs> and one of my favorite people of all carol burnett and and i loved her, the show but i saw her in um a conversation in san francisco i think a year or two years ago and it just really dawned on me of like how much unmined fun and how much joy there can be in being nice and being being kind to someone. And it was the one particular bit that they showed of hers where um, she's taking questions from the audience, which she often did on the Carol Burnett show. And then one lady, was, she's like, raised her hand. And she's like, you have a question? And she just goes, I just really have to use the bathroom. <laughs> and... <laughs> Nine out of 10, I would say 10 out of 10 out of 10, most me as I know, even myself would have been a, like, would have, the joke would have been to shut it down and been like, you can't, you know, you can't use my bathroom or you did whatever, you know? And what instead she is like, oh, you, you need, oh, of course, come up here. She brings the lady on stage. She walks her to the back and you can't see the, either of them anymore, but you can still hear her on mic just walking this older lady to the bathroom. Aww. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And, and it sweet. was just from being kind. And yeah. I was like, oh, I that's the, at least for me, for the style I want to be and the life I want to live, that's the better way. I love that. I think it's like, it's also like with some of the more negative comics that I love, there's something exclusionary about the comedy. I mean, there's also the if there, there's also probably the phony element of I'm this on stage and in real life I'm not that negative. But there is that sort of like, it reminds me a lot of like cool indie rock pitchfork bands or something that are like negative and sullen and saying like, you're not as cool as me. You're never going to be as cool as me. And you can't be a part of this fold, which like is attractive the exclusionary element, but it's also, it's always made me feel lesser than. And I think your comedy or Mel Brooks or, you know, even like Carol Burn uh, Carol Burnett, I mean, like it's, it's, it's inclusionary. It makes you want to be a part of it. It makes you love it more. And whether it's telling you, you can do this or you can just be a part of it, whatever it is, it's so wonderful. And I think it like, that's more important now than ever in a time where like, I think a we're confronting divisiveness more and we're confronting exclusionary tactics more now than ever. I've talked mm -hmm. about it like a lot in therapy. I've kind of revisited, like I grew up in, in rural Ohio before moving to mm -hmm. um, Chicago and I was the only Jewish kid and they like to let me know that a lot <laughs> in very horrible you know, anti-Semitic ways. And that was like, you know, seven years of my ex existence being excluded being excluded, constantly excluded, constantly told I was lesser than. And that for me, like influenced me to never want to be that way to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, this is a reaching question, but I'm gonna reach for it. Did you ever have like that experience, especially moving to like, you know, moving to Oregon, moving to, <laughs> moving to living in, going from Chicago to Oregon, which is like yeah. not, it's, it's like more diverse to more 
white, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that I think, yeah, that's one of the lessons that moving around taught me. It taught me early that, like, oh, like, there's bad people of all types, you know? Like, it, 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 there's someone of your own race can be just as mean to you as someone of a different race. And there's also dealing with racism in Oregon as well was difficult. And, um, yeah, I, I've often felt the same way. And it's just also the way my mom raised me, you know? Yeah. It was just more like they don't be like, just because people treat you a certain way doesn't mean this is, this is how you win by being kinder, being better than that. Not like, I, I think is one of the weirdest things I ever see when like, it was one of my biggest problems with going to church and a lot of black churches in Chicago mm-hmm. and stuff was like, uh, they were very homophobic and very, a lot of times very sexist as well as mm-hmm. like what positions a woman could hold. And to me, I could never really get my, wrap my mind. I can now, I can wrap my mind around it now, but especially when I was a child, I was like, oh, we're discriminated often because of who, what the color of our skin and things that we can't control at all. Mm-hmm. And why would you turn around and do that to someone else. You know how much that hurts. You know how much it feels yeah. to be undervalued like that. I know I've never understand that, that like, I mean, it's one of the weirdest thing in the world that like the, the, a lot of the black community can be very homophobic. But um, I also have learned that I think sometimes people want their pain to be paramount. So it's sure. like, don't, yeah, oh, but- well, you don't have it as bad as me. You know? I, yeah, I see that a lot too. I think that's that's a really fascinating like take on it. I think um, it's, I wouldn't call it. I, I wouldn't go as far to call it like a, a victim syndrome, but I mean, I know it from the Jewish community side of things. Of like, well, you know, thousands of years of of torment and the Holocaust and this and that. So you know, like our pain is greater than your pain. And it's like, you know, I think um, I think a lot about especially now how everybody is so separated and so divided and so excluded to the point where everybody feels like they have like they're they're an other to a degree mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's one of the biggest tricks that they were able to play with the with the 2016 election right, right. It was and it's not even really a trick it was taken i thought you might bring this up because oh it was kind of flipping like growing up as a teen in oregon also did teach me the flip side of things of like hanging out with a lot of poor white friends hanging out in trailer parks yeah. hanging out with people who whose jobs were being taken away and and seeing like i totally completely understand how someone could rile up that group of people and Easy. point them yeah. at a direction because i know those people you know i went to high school with those people mm-hmm. and some of them were and that's the thing that again like we see the same thing going on. We talk about with racism, but we see it now a lot with like Republicans, Democrats, people labeling each other. Where it's just like, why would you can't reason with these people? You can't sit with these people. And it's just like, I don't look at it as that crazy. It's like to me, yeah, like, is it shitty that you would support a person that would has done all these horrible things? Like, yeah, I think that's very shitty. <laughs> but it also is like I'm not gonna mix that up in my head with like meaning that you did those things like you know what i mean right yeah you can't conflate that i think understanding where somebody's coming from in that regard like growing up in the midwest it's the same thing like before my family became upper middle class in chicago living in ohio and just being regular middle class being in a rural place around you know people in trailer homes people that are working class i do understand uh then they're so isolated too they're so isolated um even today with the internet they're incredibly isolated 
Does it make well, me? If anything, di- if anything yeah. the internet has has made it worse because well, algorithms you, have made it far all worse. All the algorithms yeah. have everyone separated into these groups, and they don't even like Republicans don't even know a single Democrat like personally. You know, you know what I mean. So it's like all they know about them is this idea that they've read over and over again. I think that in itself, <laughs> bringing it back to depression. I think like that. I've struggled a lot. I mean, like we all have, like during the pandemic, being on lockdown, having our regular Eh. days completely Eh. flipped around. I I kind of love it. I know you love it. I love being at home more with my family. I do, I know it's gonna annoy, gonna bum some people out. I don't mind totally not being on tour away from my kids. Um, It makes me a little less alone and, and depressed. But what makes me depressed, I think has been the it, it's like the 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 hate and the divisiveness. It's a big reason I had to get off of like I'm like I've had to get off of social media, like hand over my handles to somebody else and be like I can't look at this. Mm-hmm. It hurts. It's gross. It's not even just the two sides fighting. It, there's a, so much infighting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many people that I'm like, hey, I'm on your side. We're like in this together, and they're like, no, fuck you. You're not exactly on my side the exact way I want you to be. You're not saying the right thing right now. You're a piece of shit. And I'm like, oh, but I already feel like a piece of shit. (laughs) Oh, that's what I think. You think that about me too? Oh, I'm going to go. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing, though, that is kind of like, at least when it's uh, before algorithms uh, kind of fucked everything up. A lot of things about about Twitter was that it was kind of a way of seeing what the collective unconscious was about. And even now... You can get like if I look at a thing, I can, I can kind of go through and see and go like, oh, everybody's stressed out. Like every like you can see it coming way, just like you can see like well, everybody's watching Tiger King and everybody's right. doing this. <laughs> yeah. But you can also kind of see like, especially as it was, get, and I think closer and closer to the election, two weeks, three weeks before the election, you see more and more like, oh, there's just a collective stress building, and I think. That um, is probably not good to be around. I mean, often the same times um, my wife has pulled me off of Twitter because I just, just get into random fights and, and get in arguments. And she's just like, you're not doing anything productive. No. So I'll, I'll go on breaks and then come back for a while. But that's that's kind of been the thing I've been learning through therapy as well. It's like, like, oh, if I go and have to respond with something and I feel a tightness in my chest and I have to like, get, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I need to just get off. Yeah, I mean, the air gets sucked out of my lungs in some of these conversations. Or you think you're having a conversation with somebody online. There is no, conver- there's no room for a conversation. And it's like, well, yeah, especially now it's just crazy because it's like, you don't know if you're even talking to a real human being half the time. You, you know? don't know, so, yeah. You don't know if you're talking to someone who says, you know, you know the, the the photo of them matches the human being behind the computer, or if you're just having a conversation with a with a bot, which I think I would know, but then I don't know. I'm sometimes you don't know. I don't know, man. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think like back to what you were saying about the collective consciousness and how you can like see that what people are what everyone's watching. You can also see like all the pain. I think like that's like, and that's weirdly, and I part of me, I don't feel shitty for doing this because I felt so terrible about myself around the time like that I decided I can't be on Twitter anymore. It's it, it's pain, it's painful, but I tried to use my empathy while I was being hurt to go, these people that are trying to hurt me, I think are also hurting a great deal. And this is like, this is their only outlet. 
they don't have like and this is a greater problem which you've talked about like a million times in the in the public is like an understanding of mental health and understanding of like where to go and how to be mentally healthy and twitter's not it's not gonna do it you're never gonna get satisfaction you're never gonna feel better you're never gonna find somebody that's i mean maybe there was a time where and i remember this time you know 10 plus years ago where you could meet a friend from across the country online and actually like finally not feel alone anymore but i don't know if there's like space for that anymore well, you know, no, I mean, it's very simple. And the fact that you look at the, uh, you know, the net neutrality and the things that have been going on to throttle the Internet. And, and it's just been changed to be a more curated thing to to rile you up, to give you misinformation, because they did realize the power that it had and the things that were available. And there's alternatives and there's other fun ways, I think, still doing. I mean, but, it, you know, it's just not as quick because now I think like. I've been trying like, oh, don't even put your thoughts out on Twitter because like they're no longer a good outcome of it anymore. Like even if I got 20,000 retweets, what's that going to do for me? It's not going to do anything for me. It's You get a short dopamine burst maybe at the most. And then after that, you'll probably somehow feel worse than you felt prior if you did feel bad prior. And, and yeah. even if it was a positive experience, you know, it's bizarre. Yeah, well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Either like somebody, another company or something will just take your tweet and take your name out of it and yeah. use it to make their ad money. So you just lost out on that and there's nothing you can really do about <laughs> it. Or you'll get a bunch of new followers and then the next time you make a tweet just being a regular person, they're going to be go, who the fuck is this? What's this? And just be cursing at you. Yeah, fuck it's you. Just weird. Yeah. yeah, so there's no, so now I've always been like, oh, if there's anything, uh, uh, worth any information I just put it in my notebook instead of you know my my sure. t Twitter because I, at least I can turn it into a joke or I can put it on my podcast I can control the narrative more than, than with Twitter how often has your material been stolen off of Twitter and repurposed or reappropriated oh a lot of times well, so many times a lot of times but now I'll not in as much in many years as most of my stuff is just hey watch this or watch that sure uh, but I see that to my, a lot of my friends and I tell them like my friend Blair Saki she's had a lot of her things she's great on Twitter and a lot of her stuff just gets stolen by these big accounts or just a a boxer I think some boxer UFC guy just stole her, <laughs> her thing one day if i stole somebody's stuff which i never would do but let's say i did it unknowingly let's say it like let's say i, I did that i would feel horrible i would reach out to that person i would apologize i would say i would make it public i stole this i could never do that i can't believe people are okay with stealing that they don't realize the work that goes in whether it, it took the ten thousand hours of craft to become that quick or if you did spend time like crafting that joke and go, I'm going to put this online because I want everyone to see this because this is a good fucking joke. I worked hard on it. It just grosses me the fuck out. It's such a Ron, have you thing. ever had someone, uh, another another comic steal one of your bits? Um, I've been told that, yeah, but it was more like they were open micers just like doing stuff. So they, I never yeah. know one that I've seen 
live there's been some parallel thoughts of course but sure um, no nothing i've been like oh they stole my thing you know i see a lot of commercials and things that where they're like oh they went for a round bunches type uh but that's (laughs) (laughs) they couldn't afford you was that ever something that like made you made you sad like bummed you out or were you just kind of like is it water off your shoulders kind of when you see that um it only bummed me out when i could see what it was when it was like silly voice and very overweight then i was a little bit then you feel it's almost like a microaggression kind of it's almost like this sort of like yeah we're just gonna dumb this guy down to like these two things yeah yeah that's fucking shitty be little what you've been doing to a couple of things um but the you know most of it was i was especially when it started happening because people would send me breakdowns where i'd see it and it happens a lot you know to different people but i just like well i don't even know what they mean because i'm not done yet i'm not done developing i don't know what that type is yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, they know a type that you are for like a minute it's weird it's because it's like there's a flattery element to it you know i have it with like my two kids because like one's six and one's two and the toddler is obsessed with the older one and she'll literally parrot things the older one says and the older one gets mad and i remember my dad telling me you know you know when your brother does that to you because i I had a brother i have a brother have one he's alive (laughs) since imitation is is the sincerest form of flattery you know and i would say that to and i remember it just made me mad to hear that even though it's true and then I'm, I find myself saying that to my oldest daughter, you know, imitation. She just, she's really just flattered by you. Do you ever, do you ever see it that way now when you see it? Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. I see it more as like, oh, I'm on, I'm on to something. I have a thing. I have a u- unique thing that they, if they didn't see it before to a point where they're like, it's a type, then I'm on to something, you know? Yeah. Cause I guess this business, it's like all what characters can you lock onto and understand? And I suppose you've hit a character that people can identify with and lock into and understand, though it's not your entire makeup. It's cool. I mean, you know, most people would find that, I think, really satisfying, but they, they don't understand that kind of the flip side of the coin of, you know, hey, I'm really this person and you see me as something else. Like even within Fall Out Boy, I'm seen as, a, you know, the dumb stoner. I'm seen as the dumb stoner. <laughs> I mean, look at me. I'm, I, you know, yeah. I look like a dumb stoner and I get it. If you're going to judge a book by its cover, this is how you would judge it. But, um, it's unfortunate. You know, I, I get why, you know, it's, it's the easiest thing to do, you know, but yeah, I mean, it makes me feel, I'm not telling anyone to apologize. It's fine. I'm happy with my career and if being a dumb stoner or looking like one has helped me to get there, then sure. I'm the dumb stoner, but it makes me feel, you know, a little denigrated. I think at times. Yeah, I think, of course. Yeah. I think we all want to be fully seen for what we are and what we do and provide, right? And that's that's it. But when, especially, I think, I mean, this is maybe a problem. Not, I mean, I think you do have to deal with this no matter whether you're a public person or not. But people in general try to define you and put you in this, like, yo, you're this and you're that. And I've had the same thing my whole life of people being, you know, it's funny to see watch it change though it was like it was just to be when i started it was like oh rotund stoner comic and then it's like you know uh cuddly bear like who yeah, what a voice bear. that'll make you and it's just like i'm a lot i'm sharp i remember russell peters one like they i was like man i like this guy because i think there i was at montreal and they had some promo for me and they it was all just like he's so sweet and kind and soft and cuddly and Russell Peters like what the fuck is this shit he's, he's like he's like you're sharp 
He's like, you're sharp, you're funny, you're dark, you're smart. He's like, what? what is this? And yeah. Well, I mean, that's what, like when I saw you do stand up for the first time, I'm like this guy's smart as fucking hell. Like that's the first, that's the first place I would go. But maybe that's like guy in the biz to guy in the biz. Like, I don't know if like being behind the curtain, seeing how the sausage has been made has given me better perspective as to how to judge other artists, other writers, performers, musicians, comics, actors, whatever. But then I can see how like complaining about this stuff to John Q public who's sitting in their trailer wishing to have what we have would go, oh, look at these whiny little bitches. But it's like, it is the grass is always greener kind of thing. I think, I mean, like what, what, what we're both talking about is just trying to express as human beings how we feel in this situation. I don't think like, I know you're not, I mean, I don't want to put no. words in your mouth, but like, I don't think you're complaining about <laughs> the success that no, you no. have whatsoever, you know, in, in this. Not at all. And no, not at all. And what I, and what they want me to do or what I, you know, I still love doing cartoon voices and, and I am a fun, silly bear of a person. I am that. So, but that's part of me. Sure. And I just try to, I think in any, People just want to keep better and keep growing, right? And so, and then the part of our business, one of the, with the negatives of our business is that they always go like, well, I don't believe you can do that. And then and then you show them one thing you can do and they go like, well, I believe you can do that. And then they go, well, no, I also, no, I saw you do that. So that's what you do now. Yeah. And then you, you get to spend a bunch of time and, you know, effort and, and make your own things to show them that you can do more things, you know? You have to do a lot of that stuff too, like uh, with blood, sweat, and tears. And I think, like, you know, from, you know, I, I, like for you, you have the, they see this character and you want to go, no, I'm more than this. And you have to work to show them that. You have to do that on your own dime. Like, I was talking with, um, do you know Brendan Small? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love Brendan. We were yeah. talking like the other day about how, like, to like go and develop a TV show, you have to be independently wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't like, you know, no one's paying you to do it. And it's like, go and <laughs> jumping into that world for me, being from Fall Out Boy, I had to really prove to people, and I'm still not like provenly successful, but I've had like a little tiny bits of success that people have in that world now go, okay, this guy can kind of do it. We can trust him. You know, being in Fall Out Boy definitely got me in the door on that stuff, but I definitely did come in being like, well, here's another stupid stoner from a rock band thinking because they have success they can come and do this thing. All right, let's let's see them. Let's see them fuck up. Here we go. Come on, fuck it up mm-hmm. for us. Pitch me, pitch me your dumb idea, <laughs> you fucking idiot. And um, it took a lot of like a lot of work that no one paid me for, to a lot of grinding and a lot of wanting to prove to people, hey, I can do more than this. I really can. Just give me a shot. Yeah, you know, I really want to show yeah. you I can. And I don't I think, think it's yeah. just a I don't think it's just an industry thing though. I think like everybody, even John Q public, like struggles with with the everyone else's perception of them constantly. Yes. Like everybody makes a first impression yeah. that they sometime for years I was like a negative dude and people that I've known for twenty years still see me that way. And it's That's like crazy. Oh man, like I've I've like worked on this. Like I'm not that way anymore. And it's just Yeah, like, you're like a really negative dude. That's the thing they don't have to understand. You're I've gotten like re- so much more negative. You're more negative. <laughs> yeah. It's not fair in that regard. No, but you're not a yeah. negative dude. That's not you. I think Wade's exactly right when we're talking about is that we're we're always fighting against people's expectations and building things. And I think 
what the lesson internally in that the thing I always tell myself is just like don't take it personal like it's not me they're judging they're judging their past experiences they're judging who they've dealt with before who did fuck it up and did didn't really care and I and it's not like it's not true we see it all I see it all the time you know yeah it's it's hard not to take it personal though it is hard it's really hard especially like for I'm a self I'm a I'm a diagnose self-flagellator you know like i take medication that helps me flagellate less and i don't mean flagellate i don't mean like privately flagellating the porn hub i mean flag hurting myself emotionally and saying you're a piece of shit and so it's really hard not to take stuff extra personal if somebody like and i know that sounds so fucking whiny but it's true like i if somebody is going to judge me i'm going to take it uh at face value I'm, I'm going to take it personally at face value. And I have to work, I work to not. I mean, like, my therapy personally has helped me to work through that and to try to let it roll off my shoulders. My subscription to Calm and my meditations have helped me to learn to be better at that. What do you think, Scott? Like, do you feel like you've, you, to me, and this is judging a book by its cover to a degree, seem like a master of that stuff. Are you not, like, it, I mean, like a master of, like, not taking it personally. Or you seem like you're better than me. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's, I think it's coming, finding my value and like, and it could always go, but, but, um, I'm not, <laughs> but it's like, I, I love my life. You know, I like my balance. I like my son. I love my wife. I love what I, I, it is because I do what I want to do. I play video games and hang out. And, and if I don't want to do something, I don't do it most of the time. Um, and, and so it does kind of and then i do lean into my past traumas i go back and go like oh remember what your life was like look how far you come remember when you used to sleep on fucking like dirty mattresses or mats didn't even have a mattress and mm. now the worst thing that happens to you is that rich people don't believe in you <laughs> <laughs> how do those feelings compare i mean like obviously they're on on paper like so starkly different but like just reaching back into that trauma revisiting it like taking that time machine back as painful as that can be is that really helpful for context or do you sometimes yeah it helps me get through those moments it's like i mean i even it's a joke that i wrote my favorite joke that i wrote during quarantine is that i go like um you know it's a well now I forgot the fucking setup and punchline. Uh, <laughs> but the gist of it is the gist of it is it's like it's like I know I'm going to be fine because I've been through worse, which then depresses me because then I go, oh, I've been through worse. <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the. Th that's, I think, like, but there's so much, I mean, it's what makes funny stuff funny is the truth in it. And it's like, that's the thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, I've been working on this this book. And in the book, I get to uh, revisit my trauma constantly, which is exhausting. It's exhausting to go back and go back through trauma in my life. And also, like, really go, oh, my God, that's so fucked up. I didn't even realize, like, while writing this memory down, I'm like, well, it's way more fucked up than I realized it was. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things I've learned in therapy. And one of the things that my um, my therapist is going, she's like, you need to give yourself credit for getting through these things and quit acting like it's just like 
or like just you know off yes. your shoulder thing like these are things that are difficult to deal with and these are things you need to give not go back and feel bad for but acknowledge that it's fucked up and give yourself credit for making it through how good as you did you know i think that's really smart and a lot of people don't think about this too they don't take a sort of global view of their life and give themselves a pat like a pat on their back like give yourself a pat on the back and go you did a really good job working through this hard stuff and also understand the points in their life that are legitimately difficult that they should be proud of having had made through i think that's what therapy can really be good for is to have that sounding board there somebody that can go hey that thing that happened that you're like you're not sure if it was fucked up or not it was fucked up you're you're correct i'm validating you right now and you did a really good job you're, you're doing good you're working through it you're dealing with it and that's that's how to be healthy it's not like mental health i mean listen it's a lot of things but it's not avoiding fucked up scenarios it's learning how to process fucked up scenarios and obviously not repeat that trauma you know not yeah. create a cycle yeah of trauma. i think that what you know one of my biggest issues with a lot of culture i see online and a lot of people um responses when you do like say like you know someone says something to you and you let them know like either through a joke or whatever sometimes i would just go like you know this hurt my feelings and then people will go like oh why are you like you know, or my or if i hurt someone's feelings and i know i've hurt their feelings and they go like i don't have feelings and it's just like no no that's not what we're doing here <laughs> who hurt you who no, hurt you that's why you to the point where you're like, I don't even have feelings now. Like, yes, you do. Yeah, what happened in your life, man? Yeah, that's like, to hear to hear that, that hurts me to hear that for them. I'm hurting. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I remember getting in a fight with my dad about something last year. And he totally misconstrued the fight or, or, or what made him mad. He misconstrued it. I had to explain it to him. But what, the first thing he told me was, you hurt me. And despite him not understanding the rest of it, I had to validate the fact that he was hurt because that's a valid feeling. Like when you hurt somebody's feelings, despite if they took it out of context, they didn't understand it, or if they're right on the money, you can't invalidate the fact that someone's hurt. And like, it's weird, at least online, it's weird that like everyone's too afraid to like admit they're hurting as if like they have a collective like, machismo mentality it's like a collective like old male mentality like we can't admit it or else we're all fucking pussies we're all pussies and we can't yeah. i don't want anyone to call me a pussy on twitter that's the worst you know it's yeah. weird well, I what it is <laughs> what i think i talk about this a lot with my therapist is i go what i think twitter has done and and these are things that i learned from traveling and stand up and being in high school and, and going to community college for three weeks uh was that like congratulations <laughs> whenever, I, missed that for, I missed that for a second good job whenever <laughs> i like you go to high school at least how i felt was like you're always like looking over your shoulders like is this okay for me to like you tell me what's cool what what the group thinks is cool is what i think is cool and that's what i'm into and then whenever i did a college gig it always was that same thing where like i could see if i especially had said something raunchy or all things like i could see people look over at each other and like is this okay for okay, me to laugh, laugh at, at? This? yeah and i think twitter has done that to adults 
where they just kind of go, they just are constantly checking with each other about what do I feel? Who I feel? What is popular? What's going on? Instead of just being honest with their feelings and talking about their feelings, I think, I mean, it's a lot more, more we talk about, it's a lot more negatives than positives with it, for sure. It's unfortunate because it used to, listen, there were already, there were always problems on the internet. Um, the problems originally were if you were trying to download uh, one naked photo and somebody called your house and they knocked the uh, 56K internet off. That was the old problem. Uh, the new problem is um, that. <laughs> the new problem is that it's all negative. It's too negative. Even down to like going and enjoying YouTube. And like, I remember, uh, oh man, the video I used to like watching on YouTube was just a video of a pug that had a long tongue. That was YouTube for me. Just watching this pug with a long tongue just lick constantly. I was like, well, I love YouTube. This is great. But now it's like Jordan Peterson riling up an MRA group to go and like shoot up a preschool or something. And it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is. <laughs> This is not, this isn't yeah, good. It's weird because and everything, like, is, I think everything I is a know. battle now. And when you talk about like, if no one will say that that you hurt them because that means you won this little battle that you're having. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so like, everybody's just trying to win constantly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why. Like, who cares? Can't apathy be a thing? Can't we just, can't we just stop caring? Yeah. I've tried to do that more in my comedy, <laughs> which is not, um, probably not productive. For writing, um, but I really started to get away from because I mean all the time when I was like, man, there's like 20 Caitlyn Jenner jokes, there's like 30, and it's like I know you don't care, and so now I, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where it's like, like if I don't, I'm not gonna like I, I'd rather do a Persona Five joke that works for five people or some joke about wrestling that works for people who I like than talk about Caitlyn Jenner or who I don't give a shit about. Like, yeah, yeah. Try to like appeal, try to appeal some like to some mass consciousness. I think that's like what getting off of social media has helped me with is to focus more on making the things, which has always been the reason I've done what I've whatever I've done is to make something that mm-hmm. I like, not make something that other people like. And I hope that if I like it, someone else will like it too. That can validate me, and I can feel like a real yeah. big boy. Well, but. You know, at least if I like it, I yeah, I, can I know. Go to I sleep think that's night. one of the biggest disservices of when people start getting at least a little bit of success in art is then you start then seeking out that approval, right? Of like, I thank you for giving me some money. No one's ever given me this money before. What did you like about what I did to get more money from you? You know, and instead. Yeah. And I've fallen into that. I've gone <laughs> yeah. into that of like, okay, well, they like this and that. But I, I, I've been lucky to have a great circle around me, you know, whether it's my family, my manager, or even the shows that I've been on where, like, when I started getting my health together and losing weight, there were, were the dumb people who were like, well, I don't know if that's good for you, for these characters. But the show I was on was like, we just think you're fucking funny. So we don't care if you're fat or not. Just do what you want, you know? Thank God. You're yeah. not fat, and you can't be funny. <laughs> fat is funny. They both have Fs in them. It's the alliteration, right? Listen, I mean, I could talk to you for forever, but I respect your time. It's almost so. I want to. Speaking of um, alliteration, <laughs> we have like a stupid game. We want to try, and we may cut it <laughs> if, it's, if it's bad. But it's about food. <laughs> okay. But it's about food. 
Speaking of alliteration. Our games are, our games are called, always it, the it, first pitch. We just go with the first thing that comes to our mind. And, and so that's okay, why they're I mostly bad. Let's try it. They're pretty bad. <laughs> but we like this one. We thought about it and we think thinking about these things is kind of the hardest thing to think mm-hmm. about. It, the game's called Lunches with Funches. We want you to think <laughs> of your top five favorite lunch items that really make you feel good. And we think lunch is a really hard, uh, lunch is for me the most difficult meal to figure out. I can always figure out breakfast, eat the same thing every day. Dinner, I know, I think about dinner all day. So by the time I get to dinner, I've got it figured out. But lunch, I never know what I want. So lunches with funches. Okay, no, I got it. You said the ones that make you feel good. The ones that make you feel good, like your comfort lunches, your favorite ones, the ones that you wish you could like. When someone goes, what do you want for lunch? And you say whatever you want, but you really want to order dumplings or whatever it is. Okay. Well, I'm going to go like full gamut of childhood, adulthood, and lots of things here. But I'm going to start off. I've talked about this before because someone asked me, they're like, what, what, what food feels like a hug? And the answer to that is clearly grilled cheese with tomato soup. Like, yeah. so that is like, that is one of the best lunches you could have if you need to feel better. You want to, especially if it's somewhat cold where you are. It's what they make Zoloft out of. It's an SSRI in a meal. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with just a large bowl of cereal. Mm-hmm. That can what, be very fun lunch. What kind of, what kind of cereal? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Good. I think that is the one that, because then you have fun milk to drink afterward. <laughs> None of these are particularly healthy choices I've you're not, done yet. You're not supposed to go healthy. And plus, I was going to hope you didn't pick Captain Crunch, so I'll cut the roof no, of your mouth. No, I mean, I'd rather just make yeah. a whole bowl of Crunch Berry. Oops All Berries, if anything. Oops All Berries, yeah. They really screwed I, up oh when they God. made Oops All Berries, because how do you how do you get back to the regular stuff after experiencing that? Not me, but well, yeah. Once you've experienced something that doesn't cut up the roof of your <laughs> yeah. mouth, you're like, well, I'd rather and has flavors. I mean, God, yeah, has flavors. Yeah, Captain Captain Crunch to me is like it's like a bowl of blood. <laughs> to me. It's like it's like I'm gonna have a bowl of blood. Here we go. <laughs> uh, my third lunch is just one of my favorite things. I I don't think I've had one in years since I've you know been healthier. But uh, a Philly cheesesteak. I love a Philly cheesesteak. That's one of my oh. favorite things. They have a great one in LA. I used to love going to booze. Oh they yeah, booze is right booze. by me. I was yeah. just gonna say. Yeah, booze is so good. Yeah, booze is a great cheesesteak. Yeah, absolutely, it's incredible. Yeah. It's up there. I mean, I had them in Philly and stuff, but and it's up there. It's up there with with the Philly one. Yeah, I was gonna say booze. Booze is one of the best outside of Philly for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I got two more to pick from. Um, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I do like I just like oh rotisserie chicken that you, you like people need people undervalue the deliciousness of just having rotisserie chicken and a salad together especially if it's yes. lunchtime because it's gonna keep you nice and full but it's not gonna drag you down and and it's light I, it's light but filling exactly you I get made fun of for ordering chicken at fancy restaurants I had a waiter one time come to me at like a steak restaurant I was like I'll just get the, ro- the roast chicken they're like are you sure? That's what you said. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm like, why? What do you mean? Yes, I'm sure. I've ordered. If a wait, no, come on. If a waiter says that to you, you gotta, you've gotta listen to them. You don't know what's going on in that kitchen, man. 
<laughs> I want the chicken. I want what I want. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if I get salmonella. I've I've made my choice. I agree with you. I think steak comes at you real real aggressively. I feel I have the same views on steak yeah. as I do with cake. It's yeah. like I want them on my birthday, probably. But other than that, it's like quick coming at me so hard. I think steak is like there's one of the most they, overrated things. I I don't know I don't know why people enjoy steak so much. I don't get it. It's it's cut in preparation in my right. opinion. I think it has to be like it has to be uh, the it has to be all the compo- it has to be perfect components or else it's gone. Yeah. Now it's gone completely opposite from when I was young because when I was younger and a kid and grew up off those TV shows, I was like, oh, I want to see the biggest steak I could get. And now yeah. I'm like, that yeah. I know that's not. I want a tiny little medallion yeah. of yeah. a tiny little. I want a medallion. Yeah, before it was like a T-bone the size of Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Yep. We have one more meal. One more meal is, uh, I mean, this is kind of the opposite because it will put you to sleep. It will absolutely put you to sleep. I love it like just ribs, ribs and macaroni and cheese. That'd be fun. Mm. I mean, you're going to get messy. Mm. You're going to get messy. (laughs) So you might want to be at home for that lunch. It's not a work lunch predicament. But, you know, to me, Back when I worked at a bank call center, one of the best things you could get was a Tony Roma's gift card for hitting your bonuses. And I would Tony Roma's get those ribs, go home, take my shirt off and go to work. (laughs) (laughs) My mom took me to Tony Roma's uh, after I got my, my braces on. It made no sense. No, none of it makes sense. You seem like you would want to stay away from that at that point. Yeah. And plus, I'm like, my teeth hurt. It was a whole lot of stuff going on. Yeah. But Tony Romo's, man. I, I, I called, a, I was at a wedding with Tony Romo. And I kept calling him Tony Roma because I just forgot <laughs> I what his name was. I think he was very offended. Okay. Um, all right. Well, yeah, I thought you were the rib guy. <laughs> I was the rib guy. Um, well, that's lunches with funches. Dude, uh, thank you. Thanks, Ron, hey, for being yeah, here man. and for doing this. I really, really. What's the thing you say? Uh, heaven, heaven can. What is it? Heaven can be a place on earth. Uh, that's the song. You say something like that, and it, and I love oh, it. I thought you were gonna say Kevin can wait. The, the sitcom. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin can wait. Can... <laughs> let's, just end, let's just end on that. Yeah, Thanks, Kevin Ron, and Kevin can wait. Kevin's gonna have to wait another week. <laughs> that's the new closing for the show. Thanks, uh, everybody. Kevin can wait. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, do you want to plug anything? Um, no, sure. I have a show with Brian. I'm in a show with Brian called True, you True are. TV. Uh, no, it's not called True TV. It's on True <laughs> That's TV. That's it's on. Yeah, it's called Top Secret Videos. Thursdays at 10.30. Follow me on my stuff. I do a lot of Twitch, Twitch gaming, which has been fun. Come see me there. Ron Funches is my name. You can find me if you give it a Google. <laughs> All right. Hopefully people have Google and not Bing. Can you use you can Bing? Use Bing. You can ask know. Jeeves. Okay. Do whatever you want. Okay, ask Jeeves. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh well thanks, Ron. You're the best. Thank you, Joe. I always like talking with you. Yeah, same dude. All right, let's do a wrap up. Wade rapped last time, so it's my turn to rap. I don't give a crap. My name is Joe, and we have a show that's only for your ears. You can download it for your phone. It's a rap, it's kind of a song. The end. That's a okay. it's a rap song. It's a little bit of a, like Yeah. It's like a like a sing songy rap. It's like a Limp Biscuit song. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a Limp Biscuit song. My way. Real quick, real quick. I know we're wrapping up. Yeah. uh, But did you watch the John Travolta show called 
uh, the movie called The Fanatic, and it's directed by Fred Durst. Oh, the fan. Is it The Fanatic or The Fan? The f- I Maybe it's The Fan. I know what you're talking about, and I want to really badly, but I... Just just watch it. Yeah, it's I, I should, because somebody told me it was, like, so bad it wasn't watchable, but I, I feel I like it's... I loved it. I loved okay, you it. loved it? All right, I'm going to watch it. There's a part... I was going to watch Time Cop tonight. That's what I wanted to watch. Time Cop? I mean, I've seen it before. I just want to rewatch Time Cop. Do you remember, uh, did you ever watch uh, Heat Vision and Jack? Yes. You were the bad guy in Time Cop. It's Ron Silver. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> 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 true. Um, there's a part in uh, The Fan or whatever it's called where the, the, the actor guy that John Travolta is stalking is listening to Limp Biscuit in his car. And he's like, yo, it's Limp Biscuit," And he like turns it up and he's trying to impress his son. And he's like, yeah, this stuff rocks. And it's like, it's like a Limp Biscuit deep cut. Like Fred Durst could not even, either he was trying to promote one of his, his old non-popular songs or he of didn't even he... have the, the rights to like his no, he popular is, song. It's probably a combo platter of the two. Um, <laughs> it's the one thing that makes me sad about not having a son is I can't impress him with Limp Biscuit. I want to adopt a son just so that I can introduce him to Limp Bizkit. Get him a little New York Yankees red hat. Oh, that'd be nice. All right. So I think we should put it out there to our listeners. If any one of you have a, has an extra son, you can give to Wade. Yeah, I'll take him. Yeah, he'll take him. He's got needs, Wade. But not like weird needs. Like needs like as far as getting him into Limp Bizkit and getting him a hat. Hey, no one was going to go there. You didn't have to go there. Just because I'm I, in Hollywood I doesn't mean I'm trying to uh, drink the blood of the children. Okay. I was just is that assumed what, is that... that what Hillary does? She drinks the blood or something? That's what like Peter Thiel does, right? Who's that? He's like the, he's some tech, some Silicon Valley guy. Doesn't he drink, doesn't he like do like weird young people it's blood like, transfusions? Or it's like their brain fluid or something? I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening. I hate myself. I'm Joe. That's Wade. You know. See you later.